Good morning. I am so excited to have this opportunity to introduce my best friend since the fifth grade, Carol Spears. Carol and I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama, and at one point we even lived down the road from each other. We grew up in 12th Street Baptist Church, and we went off to Sanford University and were even roommates for a while, but she was much smarter than me and graduated early. Um, she was my maid of honor in our wedding, and our friendship has lasted for these 50 plus years, though we were often on different continents, and I'm gonna let her tell you a little bit about that. I know you, along with me, are excited to hear what God has to say to us through her. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Travis, for the privilege of being here. And thank you for the beautiful worship that we've already had this morning. I do want to share some of my journey, my story. Um, part of it's taken me to be a medical missionary in Africa. And I also would like for us to look at what does Jesus mean when he says those words, follow me. Thank you for reading that scripture because in the very beginning of the New Testament in Matthew 4, he says, follow me. And Peter comes and he follows Jesus. And at the end, in John 21, the last thing we ever know, he says to Peter, is to follow me. And so I love looking at the life of Peter. I don't know about you, but Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And yet Peter messed up, didn't he? He didn't just mess up once or twice. It was a lot. And yet God used him and redirected him. So if we look a little bit at John 21 this morning, I understand from Brother Travis, you guys have looked at this recently, and I'm so glad. I hope it'll be familiar because we don't have time to read it all. But that's a situation where they're again on the Sea of Galilee that many of us had the privilege of seeing. I got to go with your group back in the end of December and early January and see this place. And in John 21, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And several of the disciples say, okay, we'll go with you. And they go out and they're on the Sea of Galilee. And let's think about when this timing is. This is after the crucifixion. It's after the resurrection. They've already had Jesus appear to them two other times. This chapter tells us this is the third time that he's going to appear to them. You know, I wonder what their mindset was as they went fishing. Were they lonely? Because even though they knew Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't physically present with them. Were they confused because they had just been with him for three years, believing that, okay, we're going to build the church and we're going to tell people that this is the Savior? Were they discouraged or depressed even? I believe they went back to what was familiar, to what was comfortable. They were fishermen before they ever joined Jesus in his ministry. They went back to fishing. They, they went off calling. What if they had stayed off calling? They were to establish the church. 
Have you ever gone off calling in your life? I have. It's a pretty major part of my story. You heard that I grew up in 12th Street Baptist Church with Carrie, and my dad was a Southern Baptist minister, and I gave my life to Jesus at an early age and went through doing all of the things that we do in church and learned about him and went to a Christian college, and then I graduated. And I went off to work in the business world and the telecommunications industry, and I wanted to be successful, and I wanted to make a lot of money, and I started climbing the corporate ladder, and as I did that, I made choices one after another that took me so far from the Lord. Carrie married Travis, as you know, and they went off to seminary, and their lives took a very different course than mine. They had their family. They went to Nigeria as missionaries. And by the way, I just want to go on record that since we were little girls, it was always Carrie saying she wanted to be the missionary, and she's going to be a nurse and go to Africa and live in a hut. And so somehow I feel like the messages got crossed somewhere along the way, but... Um, My job was to just make a lot of money and support her. At least that's what I'm saying. Anyway, I got these letters from Carrie. And and boys and girls, in that time, she had to write out a letter longhand, put stamps on it, send it overseas from Africa to me here in America. And I got a lot of letters that first year they were there. It was a challenging and a difficult year. Brennan got malaria. She was having to bathe baby Grant in muddy water. They didn't often have clean water and electricity, and they were away from their community. They were learning language. It was hard. I was too important, too busy, never wrote, never called. One day a letter came, and it said, from Carrie, said, Carol, you're no longer someone I can call my best friend. Who, who are you? Who have you become? You know, God knew. God knew that that's what it would take to get me on my knees, to bring me back to him, to get me back on calling, on direction. And so I got on my knees. I repented. I said, Lord, I want to follow you. And then I stayed up all night trying to call Nigeria. And even though I worked in telecommunications and I thought it was pretty high tech, it took all night. I could not get through. Finally, by morning, which was their nighttime, the phone was at the next door neighbor's house. And so the neighbor said, yes, let me go and get Carrie. And the next thing I know, Travis comes on the phone and says, hold on, she's coming. She's in the bathtub, but she's coming. So Carrie got on the phone, and I asked for forgiveness, and I don't remember a whole lot else about that phone call, except that she was willing to forgive me, to be able to restore our friendship. And by the end of that phone conversation, I was planning a trip to Nigeria to go and visit. As I visited them there in Nigeria, I saw them going about a life that I didn't know, making a difference in the lives of people. Travis teaching pastors in the seminary and Carrie working for 
surgeons a couple mornings a week and working in a malnourished children's home one afternoon a week and raising her family, doing homeschooling. God used that. It wasn't just a vacation for me. I had graduated with an MBA a couple weeks before and gone around telling everybody, oh, yay, I'm never going to have to go to school again. And he gets me to Nigeria and calls me to go to medical school. I was 31 years old at that point. I didn't know if you could go back and go to medical school. And so one night around the dinner table, I finally had the courage to mention it. And Travis doesn't even remember this, but he encouraged me so much. He told me, my professor, Dr. Bill Cooley, told us one time, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step at a time. I think it was something about an African proverb of you eat an elephant one bite at a time. That's what it meant. And it meant that when God's calling us to do something big that feels bigger than us and something that we can't do in our own strength, that we just start one step by one step to follow him. Sometimes that takes a whole new direction, like going back and going to school. And thankfully, I didn't know that that was going to take 14 and a half years of redirecting before I would end up back on the field as a missionary in Kenya. But you know, sometimes he just needs to get us back on calling. And as he, as he did that day with Peter, if we look back at the disciples in John 21, they'd fished all night. They didn't catch anything. And then it's dawn, and they see someone on the shore, and that person calls out to them, put your, cast your net down on the so- right side of the boat. They do it. They start to haul in more fish than they can pull into the boat. About this time, John realizes it's Jesus, and he said, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat to run toward Jesus. That's a stark contrast to Matthew 14, where Jesus is again on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are in the boat, and they see him walking in the night across the waters. And Peter says, Lord, I don't know. If this is really you, you got to prove to me. you got to tell me to come to you. He had to be cajoled and prompted. This time he just jumps and he runs. But what I find fascinating about that is that Peter had just denied Jesus three times. Do you run to Jesus when you've done things that you feel guilty about, that you know have hurt the heart of God? Sometimes I'm guilty of wanting, let me do a few good things. Let me get my life a little bit more in order before I go back to Jesus. Peter ran to him. They get to the shore, and John says, Jesus is cooking breakfast. He has a fire, a charcoal fire. The only other place the Bible mentions charcoal fire is there is Peter is denying Jesus around, warming himself around a charcoal fire. And there's already fish that Jesus is cooking. He didn't need their fish. They're very proud of their catch. They empty it out onto the shore, and they even count them, 153 of them. I think most fishermen, they're true fishermen, right? They count their fish. But Jesus didn't need them. He chooses to use what we bring to him. He chooses to use us in his mission of establishing the church, of taking his word known all around the world and right here in Huntsville. 
And then they have this very famous conversation. So many applications to it. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And feed my lambs. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, well, then take care of my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. There are so many different ways we could look at that, and I hope you will ponder it and think about it. But I am interested to look at the fact that Jesus focused on the heart. He didn't ask Peter, Peter, are you going to go work hard for me? Peter, are you going to try really hard? Are you going to get busy? He said, Peter, do you love? Do you love? What does that mean when we love Jesus? What does that look like? It may mean that we have to daily die to ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. When we love someone, we want to be with them. We need to spend time with him and spend time in his word so that we know him. And I think if we love Jesus, maybe we're going to love what he loves. And he loves people. He wants people to know him. All people. And that's not the last thing that, that Jesus said to Peter in this chapter, I picture it that they walk away from the rest of the group and they continue to have a conversation. Because in verse 19 of John 21, Jesus says, follow me. So this first thing he says to Peter and the last thing. So maybe it means something. Again, in verse 22, he says, follow me. And he's just told Peter about the martyr's death that he's going to die. And, and I think maybe he's saying, it's going to be hard. There are times that it's going to be hard when we follow Jesus. I know as I got my life back on track and told Jesus I wanted to follow him, I had to go do prerequisites, take a downgrade at my job and go back to school and go to medical school at UAB and even though everybody was telling me don't do general surgery you're older and you're a female I felt like God was calling me to do general surgery and so I went to the University of Kentucky to do general surgery and while I was there after my third year God called me to go to Kenya, to go to Tenwick Hospital, where I eventually ended up for 12 and a half years. He called me to go to that hospital for that year, kind of like a research year. It was an amazing time. I think that's what God knew to show me that I could do this, to give me some encouragement. I grew spiritually. I grew medically, improved my surgical skills. And about the end of that year, when I was coming back, I had two more years of training to complete, and a friend and I went away for the weekend to a beautiful resort in Lake Naivasha. We had had a wonderful time, and on Monday, we started the four-hour journey back to Tenwick. We'd gone only about 10 kilometers, when out from the side of the road came four men, 
Two of them were carrying AK-47 machine guns. One had a knife. I don't know what the other had. And they stopped our vehicle. They forced my friend to the back seat between two of them, and I was in the front seat between the leader who was driving and the other man. Our hearts sank as instead of turning onto the main road, they turned onto a dirt path. And they drove and they drove and there were no homes, there were no people, there were no other cars. They drove off into a field and hid the car under some underbrush, kind of close to some trees. They forced us out of the vehicle and to come over to the clearing and to kneel down on the ground and they started going through all of the things in our car. The leader came over to us and he demanded more money. And we said, we don't have anything else to give you. You have everything that we have. That wasn't good enough. He grabbed me and he took me a short distance away to another group of trees. He raped me. He brought me back and I knelt down by my friend and we resumed praying because you see, we had been praying this whole time, whispered prayers aloud. Jesus, Jesus, please be with us. Jesus, please protect us. The leader joined the other men and they became very agitated and very animated and started in very loud whispered Swahili talking to each other and we clearly had the impression that they were trying to decide whether or not they would kill us. About this time, we heard the droning of a single engine airplane. Very uncommon for airplanes to be in that part of Kenya, especially in that time. We still, to this day, don't know whose plane that was or where it came from, but it scared the men. They gathered up as many of our things as they could and they started walking away. We waited a few seconds. We ran out and we tried to flag the plane. It didn't see us. We looked around for the car keys and we couldn't find them. So we started walking back in the direction that we had come. We think we had walked about 45 minutes before a British lady stopped to pick us up. She and her husband own a dairy farm in that area and they had a guest house. They opened their guest house to us and that night some of my medical colleagues came from Tenwick and some of the mission leaders came and we were all gathered around the fire there, talking and praying, crying. I had the clearest image of Jesus with his arms outstretched to me, tears on his face, saying, trust me. Carol, trust me. You know, I had seen him get me and my family through the tragic death of my father in a car wreck when I was a third year medical student. I said, okay, Lord, I know if you could get me through that, you can get me through anything. We went back to Tenwick the next day and initially we didn't want people to know and then we decided, no, let's tell the missionary community there. And then I decided I needed to tell the people who were praying for me and supporting me from back home. And so I wrote an email and then the other missionaries took it and sent it to all of their prayer teams and supporters. And if you're someone who prays for missionaries, people all over the world started praying for us. And I wanna tell you that it was palpable. 
we could feel it. So please keep praying for those God puts on your heart to pray for as missionaries. A couple weeks later, I was worried about HIV. I was worried about pregnancy. And so I decided to send some lab work to a special lab in Nairobi, the only one that was doing this kind of early HIV testing at the time. Imagine my shock the next day when I called to get the test results and I heard a positive result for my HIV test. I said, no, I'm sorry, you must be mistaken. This is Carol Spears from Tenwick. And they said, no, that's the correct one. I said, well, then I want you to repeat it because it must be wrong. And they said, we've already repeated it. That's how we confirm it. I hung up that phone. And I was devastated. I felt like my entire future was crumbling before me. How was I going to finish residency? How was I going to be a surgeon? How was I going to pay back medical school bills? How was I going to be a missionary? By this time, God had already called me to do this as a career. I was planning to serve him. And I was angry with God. I'm sorry to say that for four or five days, I wrestled with him. I didn't really know what to do. I, I read scripture and I would read about, I have a plan for you, a plan for good and not for evil. And it's just, this doesn't feel like a good plan to me. I would read scripture about his unfailing love and I would say, Lord, this does not feel like unfailing love to me. Ultimately, as an act of my will, not with any emotion that I was feeling, I said, okay, Lord, I trust you, because I don't want to go into this future life without you, and I don't know what's ahead. And you know, instantly, there was peace. He didn't instantly fix everything. I'm so thankful that he did, and I praise him for that. Either he healed me, or that test was inaccurate, but every subsequent HIV test for many years now has been negative, and I praise him for that. I didn't have a child out of that trauma, and I am thankful for that. He gave me my life back. He gave me my future back, and I praise him for that. I praise him for that peace that he gave me that surpassed all understanding. For the aspects of his character that I experienced, that I don't think I could have experienced any other way. He's trustworthy. He's good. He's faithful. And I could trust him. And I could follow him. I want to be so sensitive here because I know for some people when they go through trauma like this, it doesn't all turn out okay. And it's not easy. And it's not over. Over. My heart breaks for you, but I want you to know Jesus loves you too and you can trust him. I was able to have, to have my future restored. I was able to come back, I was able to come back and finish up residency and to stay on faculty for a year, for and, a year and a half as I raised support to go back as a missionary. They called me to follow him and actually directed me back to Tim McCoskey. So I went there and in January 2007, I went there as a career medical missionary served as a general surgeon. A year later, we started a residency training program to train 
Kenyans, African doctors in Africa. What an amazing, what an amazing journey it has been. I am so thankful. It wasn't always easy. In fact, there were many times it was really hard. But it was always. But it was always. God doing the work. We started with two residents. We started with two residents. They didn't even know if they were going to be able to be real surgeons. When they finished a five-year training program, they would have the credentials that would be credentials that would be acknowledged by the acknowledged by the boards. But they took a chance. But they took a chance. We took a chance. We started with two faculty members and two residents, and I am proud to say that God has done an amazing thing. And now they have 23 residents, not in just in general surgery, but in orthopedics. And recently we've started a cardiothoracic fellowship program. Over 16 full-time surgeons of different disciplines and faculty. I praise God for the great things for the great things that He has done. It's marvelous. It's marvelous in our eyes. As it says in Psalms. As it says in Psalms. Now He's calling me to follow Him. calling me to follow Him to a new direction again. I'm a lot older this time. I'm a lot older this time. It's not easy. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknown. He's calling me to follow He's calling me to follow Him into the Middle East. At the end of December, at the end of December, I'm about to start a new job as a surgeon in the Middle East. I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. I do know. One thing I do know is that I can follow. Is that I can follow him, and that he's trustworthy. And that he's trustworthy. And that he's going to want me. That he's going to want me to love, love people as he loves people as he loves people. How's God calling you today? How's God calling you today? The last thing we ever know that Jesus says to us on earth is in Acts 1 But you will receive power. You will receive power. Comes the Holy Spirit. will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. He's calling us to be witnesses. to be witnesses. If you're a witness, you have to have first. You have to have your firsthand experience. You have to know. You have to know. You have to tell your story. to tell your story. I think if you were to tell us that same that same charge here today, that same word, that same word, he would say, "You were to be my witnesses and hunts, witnesses and hunts in your family, in your extended family, in your extended family, in your loving place that are hard to love, that are hard to love. You're to be my witnesses and hunts in Alabama, in Alabama, in America, and in America."